Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with you. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, but I can't do the show alone. I got to have Nicole Cleggett with me as she represents Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm um, glad that the weather is warming up and um, I have a, I have a child who's about to turn 16 during quarantine. So that's an interesting experience. How's that party going to go? Is it going to be a virtual party? Or are we going to yeah. maybe celebrate when things get back you know, to normal? I'm, um, it's kind of interesting. So what, basically what I've done is I've reached out to some past teachers teachers and friends from different schools in different states, and I've asked them to um, send me little video clips of memories of him, and I'm creating a little movie that I'm going to give him first. And then he'll have as a keepsake, right? So just trying to make it special, but all he really cares about is getting some really cool gaming stuff. So if I I do (laughs) any of that, I will be the best mom in the world, but someday he'll appreciate this movie probably more than that when he's past the gaming piece. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, get get a new headset, new controller. Uh, He's all about the skills keyboard and I'm like and of course nothing's being shipped very quickly these days so I'm a little bit I'm watching the tracking and hoping and praying it arrives on time because it's going to be rather disappointed so well fingers crossed that sounds like a great birthday he'll be happy either way he will as long as he gets that well Nicole let's get into the subject at hand and Tonight, we're going to start off talking about building a team for dementia care. And to do that, we've brought in a return guest here on the program. We've got Sanjay Das with us. He is the president of Always Best Care of South Wake County and Johnston County. Uh, Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. So glad, yeah. Hi, how are you? So glad to have you. And I know, I'm sure this has been a very interesting time for you all trying to manage a team of caregivers um, in a very different circumstances uh, during this time of COVID-19. How are you all holding up? We're holding up. That's all. No. <laughs> That's all we can oh. we can attest to. Yeah. But it's been a it's been a very fast and furious learning process. Uh, but you know, amazing people all around. Our caregivers are incredible people to show up for work every day and do what they want to do, need to do. And it's a combination of the two um, with smiles. I mean, that's just incredible. And, and, and then our office team just doing their best. And, and, and I'm sure we're not the only agency. You know, everybody probably has a similar story. People are rallying so together. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible moment to see people interact and, and step up. Definitely. You know, that's an amazing place to be. Rise to the occasion. If, if uh, anything could have been an amazing team building exercise, COVID-19 sure has for a lot of healthcare entities. Have you all seen any uh, COVID cases in your agency at all yet or no? No, we've had a couple of scares in the communities and um, that we work in, but mm-hmm. uh, the test came out negative. So, And then we've had a couple of situations where caregivers thought like some of the family members might be uh, affected but they weren't well, so, that's uh, been a blessing. You, you've had to 
we've had to protect them, but yeah, that's how it is been so far. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that good news for y'all. That's wonderful. So, well, we are here today to talk about something different, uh, something different than COVID, and I'm sure we all could use a break from hearing and talking about COVID all the time. And so I'm really excited to talk about this topic because despite the fact that we have a global pandemic around us, people are still uh, facing other situations that they were facing prior to um, being in the situation they are in. And a, a huge issue for older adults and the family caregivers of older adults surrounds dementia. And so we all know that dementia is sort of an umbrella term for many different types of diseases that cause an individual to have varying different types of memory loss and needing assistance with their daily activities of daily living, like bathing, dressing, grooming. So the most prevalent type, as we know, is Alzheimer's disease, but there are many, many other types. But it is super important if you have a loved one that is diagnosed with a dementia, that you have an infrastructure in place and you build a team with roadmaps. Yeah, Nicole, it's really, it's really important to, first of all, I really wouldn't know how I would just react or respond when I'm told um, that, or not when, but hopefully if um, I'm told that I have dementia or some version thereof. You know, I really don't know how I'm going to respond. So, uh, yes, building a team. I mean, there's like different aspects of, of, uh, of um, dementia and how to take care of somebody. But I want to just make, i probably use this term only once, hopefully today, which is around COVID. The... We don't have, or we weren't ready uh, for a infrastructure to handle something like COVID or a pandemic. You know, we thought we did, but we, we really didn't. So the same thing, if you can use um, as a simile, if you will, in the dementia side, it's every family is on pretty much on their own, which can't work that way. Uh, just like in the COVID situation, you have multiple people, multiple infrastructures, the government, public, private. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things have to work together, testing, you know, and then what happens after that. So the same thing, um, if we think about from a dementia standpoint, when somebody gets diagnosed, or actually even before, the story starts even before when somebody notices something, and it just happens repeatedly, maybe or once in a while, or something crazy happen and you're like what what was that it was a one-time event but you know obviously it's not one time Definitely. so yeah um go ahead sorry so no so i was gonna say so you get you say so you get the diagnosis or the family starts introducing yeah. things and that's really the time to react and put a plan into place but unfortunately for most family situations and for most human beings for that matter um you know we start noticing a little something and we just want to deny that it's there and just hope it gets better and just kind of play it off as they're getting older or you know well i'm just that she was just tired or well this is just normal for the aging process and the reality of it is is you know these mounting symptoms continue to to, to be there, and then all of a sudden you're faced with a crisis. So um, we're trying to really encourage it through this radio program and many other things that we all do in the community is that folks really recognize that there's something going on and put a plan into place before it turns into a gigantic crisis. A, a, a good friend of mine, David Wilson, um, out in Johnson County, uh, his wife has, um, has been diagnosed and, and she's in a memory care um, community right now. And so he and I, we've, we've worked through or created this uh, draft roadmap, draft because every situation is unique. And we started with something is off. 
you know, like you said, the diagnosis, but even before the diagnosis, something is off. And then, and figuring out what's wrong, um, that's like a huge deal because one is, like you mentioned, acceptance, but even before you accept, like, you know, what what is going on? Yeah, could it be something simple, you know, where somebody is not eating right or, you know, they're, um, they're deficient in some kind of a, a supplement? You know, who, who knows? We don't really know. I'm not a medical professional. So looking for answers, finding out what's wrong, getting some guidance, uh, maybe a counselor or a guide or a coach. Um, and one of the things that happens even before a diagnosis is um, – we trust our primary care or some physician. You know, that's generally the person we go to when something is medically off. So how do we, and when, I, when we talk about infrastructure, it's about how do we make sure our, our primary care physicians or any other physicians are aware. Uh, they might not have the answers. They don't know how to diagnose you know, dementia in every situation. But at least becoming aware, hey, there's a pattern here, what to do next. Know? Um, so that's where we started this roadmap concept and and then getting the diagnosis itself and um, and then from there uh, creating a plan like you talked about building a team and building a team and 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 things like that is within the plan within the planning aspect because planning is not one time it's uh, it's a process so the one of the first things and depending on who you ask, an aging life care manager will say, well, they should be the first person on, 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 the, on site. Because I, I, I remember, one, um, I think Heather, who talked about that recently on your show. So uh, that's, that's true. There are certain people who should be on, on site first. Uh, but people have to accept that there's something going on first and then do that. Uh, one of the first things that people probably should do is um, having or checking their papers. You know the legal documents, having a POA in place, you know things so, like that. So it sounds like you are pretty knowledgeable on the type of roadmap that needs to be created for an individual who may have a dementia. So if folks are listening today and have a loved one, would that be something that you all could assist with at Always Best Care? Absolutely, and one of the it's an interesting thing. We we're, we're actually in the process of hiring an aging life care manager as our client care manager. And uh, the reason why I'm looking specifically for an aging life care manager is so that they can handhold somebody right in the beginning. And uh, Nicole, one of the things you're doing uh, to heart is the what what next, right? That that project, and I'm really excited to be part of that because you're reaching out to, you know, on that particular day, you're going to reach out to uh, physicians and and share with them, you know, what are the resources out there? Like step one, you know. Uh, so the doctors know, you know, who to send out information to or who to uh, refer a, um, a patient to. And then and then each of those organizations can come together and, and help. And we'll, we're, we're just one piece of the puzzle, if you will. He is Sanjay Das, president of Always Best Care Senior Services of South Wake and Johnston Counties. To find more information about them, head over to abc ne Raleigh, that is in Northeast Raleigh, abc-neraleigh.com. Sanjay, as always, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great day, guys. You too. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, 
Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cluggett, and sometimes we have too much fun here during the breaks. All right, Nicole, let's get down to business here. We've got a, a guest standing by, and I don't want to keep her waiting any longer. We've got Vivian McLaurin with us. She's a certified aging life care manager with Preferred Living Solutions, and we're going to be talking about being prepared. Vivian, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really excited to talk with you. I've known you for, gosh, so many years now. I think we very first met way back when we were having caregivers conferences years ago and have always appreciated your presence and, quite frankly, appreciated what you're going to be talking about today because I happen to have a a piece of what you're going to be talking about in my very own home. And so living prepared, I think, um, on many levels is, is what's on Americans' minds and the folks here locally, obviously, during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic and just in general, I think it's super important for us just to be prepared for the inevitable. And um, one of the things that we all know is a fact, um, we we all know that um, we're not going to be here forever. And so really just, you know, trying to think about the things that we need to have in place to help family members who are going to be left behind make sense of kind of everything that we had going on in our lives, especially now that we're living in such a digital age. Absolutely. You know, we have always said um, that life is unpredictable and that you can never be too prepared. But boy, that really has some uh, relevance that just goes beyond the norm at this time. So you have a document or more of a, I'm not sure if it's a binder still, that's the way it lives in in my home, but it's called Living Prepared, correct? It is, yes. And and there's a little history behind the name of the book. Um, And so people may know it, and and I know that the the binder that you have in your house, uh, the title of it is The Drop Dead Book. Mm -hmm. Um, And we retitled that about a year ago. Um, for a couple of reasons, and and we now refer to it as the Living Prepared Workbook, Um, and it is a binder, um, and it is a wonderful resource um, to help any of us, whether it's someone that is an aging boomer, it's a millennial that is trying to help their parents have things in a more organized fashion, um, parents of special needs children that really have a a special calling to make sure that they have all of their documents in in order. Um, It it really is a very helpful resource to know that you are living prepared. Um, The old name, the Drop Dead Book, was um, developed by Melanie Mattingly, the creator of this workbook. She was working with a client um, whose husband had passed away suddenly, and she was at the dining room table with the client, and the, the lady was had all these papers strode and strung everywhere trying to make sense of things, insurance policies, birth certificate, <clears throat> death certificate. And she said to Melanie, she said, oh, my goodness. She said, I'm not doing this to my children. What happened if I drop dead tomorrow? And so that's where the original name came from. Um, and 
and that that title does have a great ring to it and um, my binder and my house is the old title um, but we really think that the living prepared workbook um, now eight years since it was first created really is more relevant and uh, a timely name so what are some of the things I mean obviously you know we want to have things like perhaps a copy of our will and, you know, maybe our social security cards and birth certificates and things of that nature. But what are some items that people don't often think about that really need to be at the fingertips of loved ones in the event that they were to suddenly pass away to just to kind of ease that time of crisis and emotional drain? There's so many documents that we really don't even think about. And, and I speak from my own experience as a care manager working with um, families with aging loved ones that are either in the hospital or or that have passed. Um, And so this is a really comprehensive table of contents with um, the clear sleeves that you can slip documents into and have everything in one place. For example, some of those documents, one of the things that people absolutely don't have at their fingertips when they need it is a long-term care insurance policy or a life insurance policy. And I can't tell you how many times um, maybe the son knows that that dad had one big uh, life insurance policy and knows who the agent is and can get that. But then come to find out dad had a life insurance policy that he purchased years ago. And, you know, the, the copy got lost in three moves over time, and the kids didn't even know that that life insurance policy existed. Um, After someone passes, the documents that we need to pull together in order to probate an estate, um, you know, that's not the time that you want to be rummaging around in, in your loved one's home and in their desk drawers trying to put things together. Um, Other things that are important, um, we love our pets, we love our animals, and when someone passes away suddenly, that's one of the pieces of information often that's hard to to know, um, is all the things about your your loved one's pet so that you can continue to look after them. Um, Another one, Usernames and passwords. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's tricky. Careful. Yeah, that 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 really is a tricky one, and and I know that there are several usernames and passwords that I have that I, it seems like I have to update them every thirty, sixty, ninety days. And so I will say you can put me on the naughty list uh, for this because I probably haven't updated that piece of my book in in a very long time, and it's just. Even the even the lock passwords to your cell phones, right? Because maybe you know people need to get into there to contact people, or even things like if you're on social media, you know, how do you get onto somebody's social media page and deactivate it, or you know, pass it on to somebody else? Things of that nature. Exactly. Or um, you know, our digital lives live on after us. So um, to, to have those passwords and usernames in one place, and and to have a system where um, you agree with someone that you know, love, and trust that when you make an update that you give a call or send an email and let them know that. Um, That's one of the services that um, I provide for one of my clients now. I manage her living prepared workbook for her. She's 90 years old and has a lot of chronic health um, issues, but she's still 
you know, on Facebook and she pays her bills online. And so when she changes um, a password, she just gives me a call and I pull out her book and I make that change. I will say uh, one cautionary note that the information contained in this Living Prepared Workbook is very confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly don't want to be sharing passwords with, you know, have them out where they could be accessed by um, anyone coming into the home. And so we really recommend that um, you purchase a little safe and have that workbook um, stored so that it's, you know, safe and not accessible to just anyone that happens to come into your home. And this is the perfect piece as well, you know, not even necessarily if you're facing death, but, you know, we do live in a state where we do have natural disasters, things like hurricane season come along. And so, um, or there's potentially, you know, a tornado's coming along. And that is really just a great thing just to be able to just grab and go and not have to be rifling through everything to make sure, you know, your birth certificates don't get flooded and you don't lose your Social Security card because, my gosh, having to get all of those things. I mean, we remember what it was like when we got married when we had to change our names. It's, it's, that is not a fun process. It takes hours and hours to replace some of these documents. Absolutely. And, for example, the Social Security Administration, they don't recognize a power of attorney. You have to have a special um, designation uh, permission on file uh, or they won't speak with anyone other than the owner of that social security card um, and that can be a very difficult thing to happen if all of a sudden you realize that your loved one um, you know is starting to have some cognitive issues or they're sick in the hospital in intensive care which unfortunately we're hearing so many stories about right now um, sort of a, um, a, a hard story to hear, but one that's relevant. Um, we have a, a client right now whose mom fell, broke her leg, um, had surgery, and then had to go to rehab where the hospitalization and rehab, the son is not able to, um, to see her in person. Um, he did not have power of attorney for her. And to make this story sadder, his dad dropped dead um, the next day after she had her um, leg surgery. So he is trying to pull together all these pieces of information in so many ways for her while she's rehabbing, and then he plans to move her back to Raleigh. And he needs things like a copy of her birth certificate and her Social Security card and her insurance card. And it's just been a nightmare of logistics trying to get that information um, to so that he can do what he needs to do for mom. Yeah, that's why it's so important to have everything in a central location. Vivian, if someone is interested in finding more information, is preferredlivingsolutions.com the best place to go? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Um, we have a page um, that about the Living Prepared book. Um, and then if you want to order one, you can give us a call. Right now, we don't have a, a link. Um, to order one online, but we're working on adding that. Um, But you can always call us uh, or send us an email with our contact information right there on preferredlivingsolutions.com website. 
Excellent. That's PreferredLivingSolutions.com. She is Vivian McLaurin, Certified Aging Life Care Manager for Preferred Living Solutions. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. And Nicole, we're going to switch gears here and we're going to be talking about uh, the healthcare world and why there are some challenges when it comes to hiring healthcare workers. And to do that, we're welcoming one of our own, and that is Melissa Short. She is the Vice President of Human Resources at Transitions Life Care. First time on the program. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Good evening. It's great to be with you guys. So Melissa is, and she won't say this about herself, but she is truly one of the best gifts at Transitions Life Care. So I'm so pleased and honored to be able to speak with her today. I just love how she relates to the employees and really coaches folks and and makes sure that we have the very best folks that work for Transitions Life Care. So thank you so much for your passion and dedication to the organization. Oh, well, that's so kind of you to say. Thank you for, for having me here. And um, it's it's an easy job to have because I work with some really, really wonderful people um, who are really passionate about um, the care that they deliver every day. So one of the things that we are um, charged to talk about today um, is really an overarching issue throughout our country and even around the world, um, but we're going to specifically talk about our area. It's really the challenge in hiring and attracting healthcare workers. Um, you know, we are on this this edge of in the beginning waves of the what is known as the silver tsunami where we're having so many older adults turning 65 and up. And with that comes, um, obviously, as we age, an increase in the number of chronic conditions that folks have and potential, obviously, end-of-life needs go up as folks age. And so, you know, finding those true passionate people who are willing to work with individuals with multiple diagnoses and really doing some of the hard work, which is also a gift in end-of-life care, I'm sure proves incredibly challenging in your role at Transitions. Um, it, for, all, for all of those factors, it is difficult, um, but not impossible. And I think we have to speak to um, a couple things in general. One is that um, we do a lot of hiring for nurses, um, for RNs specifically, um, and across the country, as well as in North Carolina and our area, there is, you know, a tremendous need for nurses. Um, there's been a nursing shortage, um, and so there's really a supply-demand issue overall, um, which is not unique to North Carolina, um, and that's really caused by um, you know, an aging population, um, the, there are a number of people who need care, um, and there are not enough nurses to be able to truly meet that demand right now. Um, that's caused by a few different things, you know, a number of nursing schools. Um, we have a number of nurses who are 
um, reaching their own retirement age. Um, so right now I was just looking, there was a study conducted in 2018 by the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. And at that time, um, almost 51% of the RN workforce was age 50 or older. Wow. Um, yeah. Right. Isn't that hard to believe? Well, yeah. I mean, because they're um, going to age out in the next 15 years They're going to age so. out. Mm-hmm. They're going to age out. Right. And, um, you know, and nursing is a difficult field. I mean, it is, it's challenging, challenging work. So um, you have that, you have that going on in general. Well, and that, um, and, and that, a highly, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, and back in the day, you know, right now, I, I just heard a report that most people, so there's more women going to college than men. And back in the day when women were starting to get higher education, um, you know, you kind of had a, a few options as a woman or, or, or generally what most women did. You became a teacher, you became a nurse. Um, and now, you know, I think because it is a, a lot more commonplace for women to be doing a lot of other roles, it's probably even harder for the nursing schools to attract people who would formally um, have considered nursing because they're looking at doing other things. You know, that is a really interesting point, and, and I, I don't know the answers um, to that question, but I do know that there aren't enough nursing programs um, to meet the demand. Um, so that, that, that is something that I would be really curious to know the answer to but you're right my mom is a nurse Mm -hmm. um she was a she's retired now but that's what she told me is that when she was in high school um you know her career options as told by her career you know school counselor was teaching or nursing exactly (laughs) she chose chose nursing as her as her career path awesome well so you know the other thing that I think that we run into as well is I'm not really sure, and I think it's getting better. Um, and I actually, my stepdaughter, she is, um, she works over at Clemson, and she's actually a student advisor for the nursing program. Um, oh. And still to this day, a, a lot there really is not a lot of practicum, practicum given for community-based care in general. It's more focused in the hospitals, and so a lot of times people who are who are planning to be a nurse are really not even understanding what it would like to be a community-based care nurse. And so I'm wondering as well, you know, do we need to sort of target it from that level, from the higher education level, to make sure that people get more exposed? And I think Transitions is partnered with a number of the nursing schools in the area to give people some exposure, correct? That is correct. We we do have partnerships with several nursing schools um, in the area, and we have um, student nurses that rotate through um, to get some exposure to end-of-life care here. Um, my understanding is that some of the nursing programs are working now to add some community-based curriculum um, into their programs to, you know, really to specifically increase that. Um, to give those student nurses some exposure. But that is one of the challenges that organizations like ours face because we're very, um, most of our nursing roles are based in the community. So, um, you know, nurses who have been trained uh, don't necessarily, it's not necessarily the best match for them to come right out of school and go into an RN case manager role where they're managing end-of-life patients 
um, in an in-home setting. Um, they just haven't had that exposure or that training. Um, so, you know, it, we're hoping and we're working with those organizations to try to give them that exposure because it really, it can be such a rewarding career. It gives, it gives the nurses a lot of flexibility. Right. Um, it gives them a very independent role um, and they work directly with the patients and their families over time. So it can be just a wonderful career. Um, but they've really got to get the exposure to it, too. Yeah, anecdotally, obviously, this is no, not a professional study by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but when I talk to people who are in hospice nursing, I often ask, well, how did you get into that? Just out of curiosity, I tend to have a curious brain about things. And, you know, for the most part, it was either they were working in the hospital and saw the way people were dying, not to knock on hospitals, but just felt like there must be a different way. And then number two, they had a personal experience with a loved one who passed away on hospice and just fell in love with that model of care. And um, and, and and you're right, it tends to be, um, you know, people who are at least 40 and up who tend to make a transition after they've had the first 20 or so years of their career in a more acute setting from what I've from what I've noticed about from people that I've spoken to. Yes, um, we. It's interesting that you say that because I surveyed our workforce probably about a year ago. Um, you know, out of curiosity to find out. You know, I, I hear those stories too, um, but how many of them really had had some sort of personal experience with hospice um, or palliative care end of life um, themselves? And I think it was over fifty percent of our workforce. Um, had, you know, kind of across the board had had some type of personal experience with, you know, a family member or a close friend um, in that setting before they came to work at Transitions, um, which is just amazing to me. Um, and that, you know, tells me, I mean, I think we, we take steps to really hire people that um, are true believers in our mission, but um, I think that just really goes to speak to the passion that um, these team members have for the work that they're doing. They've been there. We've got Melissa Short on the line. She is the Vice President of Human Resources at Transitions Life Care. You can find more information at transitionslifecare.org. And we will continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. On the line, we have Melissa Short. She is the Vice President of Human Resources at Transitions Life Care. And we're talking about the challenges in hiring healthcare workers, Nicole. And uh, we were talking about there's obviously going to be a shortage of nurses looking down the road. And, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot about right now. We're celebrating our frontline workers. But, um, you know, it's, it's one thing to celebrate them, but it's another thing to try and convince people that this is the line of work that we need you to enter into. Exactly. And, and also, you know, when you're in community-based care and you're competing with 
other types of care, whether it's, you know, in a physician's office or in an acute setting, um, like a hospital, you know, how does an organization like Transitions Life Care stay competitive and try to attract nurses? Uh, that's a great question. Um, so we, in, in our field, which is um, end-of-life care, um, you know, it can be emotionally taxing work um, because our team members are often um, working with, you know, family members and the patient um, over longer periods of time. So they do get to know the families. Um, sometimes those are complex family dynamics as well, but um, it also enables them to develop um, some really lovely relationships um, with those families, too. Um, so one of the best things that we do, and I think this is just critical in um, a healthcare field um, for nursing and CNAs, is we just have a really generous paid time off uh, policy. So we give every new hire um, six weeks of paid time off um, because it's just so critical that they use that time for their own well-being and self-care. Um, so I think that's, that's absolutely critical. Um, you know, things like flexibility, I think recognizing that you want to make sure that when you've hired the right person, um, that they can be with you over time. So you've got to be able to work with them, um, as their life need changes. So sometimes that's part-time, sometimes that's full-time, um, sometimes that's, you know, someone has a child. Um, or adopts a child, you know, their, their needs for work change and, and we want to be willing to work with them there. Um, but probably one of the most important things for any employer in um, the area and employing healthcare workers that you want to keep is really to have a great culture. Um, you really want to make sure that you're supporting healthcare workers who, um, you know, are giving their all. You want to give um, then the best support that you possibly can in order for them to do their best on the job and to care for your patients um, and families, you know, wholeheartedly. So in order to do that, you've got to create uh, and sustain a wonderful culture, um, you know, that is supportive of the employees, supportive of the patients, um, and that includes things like recognition and celebrations and um, transparency and, and really good communication as well. I want to talk a moment about the gift of hospice nursing. I'll tell you, um, you know, my, my plan for my entire life when I knew everything I knew and I thought I knew the, everything about the world when I was all probably 21 was I was going to be a guidance counselor working in a you know primary school. And I got placed in an internship in a skilled nursing facility and I got, you know, I would, and I was not happy about it because that was not at all what I wanted to do. Um, but you know, I had to, I had to be there 30 hours a week for an entire year, and um, on top of my regular coursework, and so I had to make the best of it. And I absolutely fell in love with the older adult population. And I will tell you, the the biggest gift that I ever received that year, which ultimately changed the entire course and career trajectory of my life, of what I've done ever since then, uh, was when I got welcomed in by a family as if I was part of the family and I held the hand of a resident as she passed away who became incredibly attached to me oh. with a cognitive diagnosis. She thought I was her niece and she was confused about 
who I was, but I was comforting to her. And to be there, to me, it's similar to being witness to someone's birth. Um, But to Mm. be there when you're holding the hand of somebody who exits this world was an absolutely incredible and beautiful gift and and truly changed what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So, um, you know, I think there are some incredible gifts in hospice nursing. What do you hear from the nurses that work at Transitions about that? You know, the Gift is a really good word. Um, it's I've definitely heard it referred to as a calling, um, and the stories that um, some of our nurses and CNAs and employees share with me are are really amazing. Um, so it's always something I love to ask. You know, is what was your story? What brought you into this field? Um, and you know, sometimes it is a really personal experience. Sometimes it was from working in the hospital and they were on a, you know, intensive care unit and they just didn't like, um, they just didn't like how the end of life went for their patients. You know, they felt like there had to be a better way. Um, and it's, I, I, w- I would agree with you, Nicole, as, um, I have been present at the deaths of three people, which I think is is not something I really would have wished for mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. But um, it was really a very, very moving and um, emotional experience each time. And this was all before I worked in um, end of life care, and it had a huge impact on my decision to you know, enter this field and originally, you know, apply for this job um, and leave a, a very good job to come to work for um, Transitions Life Care uh, and Human Resources. Um, and a lot of that was based on my own personal experience and feeling like, you know, there was some some need to do this line of work. Um, because it is such a special experience and you know um, that when you're in that situation and you're right there as a family member um, with that person that no one um, no one really can't you just can't compare that to anything else and so if there are people that can help you navigate that um, and all the complexities and the challenges that come with that you know, I would say that is really, truly a gift. So one of the myths, I think, and misperceptions out there in general is that if you're a community-based care nurse, whether it's home health, hospice, palliative care, you name it, that's less than being a nurse. That means you're just not that good of a nurse. This is a second string, B-roll, whatever you want to call it. And the reality of that, it is not true. My understanding of the role of the hospice nurse is that it truly uses every single clinical capability that you have ever been trained on. And in fact, it takes somebody who is probably one of the higher tier nurses to do it because you're operating often on your own. Yes, that's absolutely correct. I I have not... um I have not ever heard it referred to sort of as a as a like a B level um, nurse. I mean the the team members that we employ are top notch, and 
the work is very challenging, um, and it is really because they do have to work in a fairly independent capacity. Um, you know, they're, they're, we, we work as a team. Um, every patient has um, a team of professionals that um, manage the care of that particular patient and family member, but um, our nurses are going out and um, working with that family. They're, you know, talking with the patient. They're assessing. Um, they're evaluating, you know, what's happening. Um, they're, they're also talking about things that are really, really complex um, about end of life. Um, sometimes, you know, they end up being the person that really has to explain to the patient and their family members what hospice is or that, um, you know, they're actually dying. Um, and that is really difficult. They, they really shouldn't be the person that has to explain that to the patient um, at that point in time. But oftentimes the reality is that um, sometimes that's the case, that they in partnership with the physician are, um, you know, delivering that type of heavy conversation um, and working with those family members. So it is a complex role. Um, and, you know, these guys are empathetic. Um, they have to be empathetic. They have to be compassionate. Uh, they have to be efficient. Uh, and they have to be really skilled at what they do. Um, and I, I, we are just really fortunate to have some really talented people. So I would say, you know, the hospice nurses, the home health nurses, uh, our palliative care nurses, I mean, they really are some of the most skilled folks out there in healthcare right now. Melissa, thank you so much for your time this evening and for shedding some light on a group of workers that's often taken for granted. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I really have enjoyed it and appreciate you letting me talk about this. Uh, we appreciate it as well. She is Melissa Short. She is the Vice President of Human Resources at Transitions Life Care. You can find more information at transitionslifecare.org. We are out of time for tonight. We've got to get out of here. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I am Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.